We're going to be reading chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 2, <laughs> verses 1 through 4. So just to make sure we have this clear, 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Hear God's word speaking to you this morning. When David's time to die drew near, he charged his son Solomon, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong, be courageous, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies as written in the law of Moses, so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Then the Lord will establish his word that he spoke concerning me. If your heirs take heed, take heed to their way and walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall be no fail, there shall not fail you a successor on the throne of Israel. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O oh God, once more we place our lives before your scriptures. We open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear from you. Amen. Well, as we move forward in our sermon series looking at the lives of various Old Testament characters who could be classified as ordinary or flawed or broken, and yet they are still used by God to do extraordinary things. This morning, we come to King David. Much could be said about David's life. In the Old Testament, there is more written on the character of David than any other person in the Bible. But what does David himself say when he comes to the end of his own life? Often, someone's final moments can be their most honest and most vulnerable. A number of years ago, someone posted a question online asking doctors and nurses, police and paramedics to share stories of confessions they had heard when working with people who were actively dying. Deathbed confessions. Over 8,000 people responded to the post. One nurse posted that a woman, while going into emergency surgery, asked the nurse to tell her husband that she had a child before she met him that she gave up for adoption. And should her son ever come looking for her, let him know that she was sorry. She loved him every day. Another person posted who was not a nurse or doctor, said, my grandma went a little loopy before she went, but she left a voicemail for her best friend in the last days saying, Maggie, 
it's Deborah. I'm dying and it's a lot of fun. Call me back. I'd like to leave that message before I go. But many of the stories were filled with confessions of past mistakes, affairs, illegitimate children, family secrets, often people looking for forgiveness at the very end. Oftentimes, people sharing final words of love. If you could choose your last words, the very final things that you would ever utter in this life and in this world, what would you say? Laying on his deathbed, David summons his son, Solomon, whom David has already named king. And the scene is both inspirational and somewhat alarming. David's last words reflect his complicated and tumultuous life. The first half, which I just read, honestly show us David's desire to honor God as he instructs his son to follow the Lord. But the second half of David's last words, verses 5 through 9, which I did not read, David sounds more like Don Vito Corleone in The Godfather, if you've ever seen it. David tells Solomon, don't let Joab go down to Sheol in peace. Kill him. And stay loyal to, your son, to the sons of Barzillia and let them eat at your table. But Shimei, who cursed me with a terrible curse, even though I swore to him by the Lord I would not put him to death with the sword, do not hold him guiltless. You are a wise man, you know what to do. Bring his gray head down with blood to Sheol. In other words, there was a pact, but once I die, Solomon, the pact is over. David's very, very last words are him placing a hit out on these two guys, Joab and Shammai. Of course, there's reason to believe that David is doing his best to stabilize the kingship of his son. Once Joab and Shammai die, we read at the end of chapter 2 in 1 Kings that the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. Once these guys are gone, Solomon's kingdom is secured. Like David, when we die, we want to know our kids are going to be okay. So we like to get our affairs in order. We find in David's last words both his, desi his desire for God and his hope for his son to follow the Lord and evidence of past failures as he leaves behind unresolved tensions. For David's Latter years are marred by family conflict and civil war. As you recall, David was originally chosen by God to succeed Saul as king. And when the prophet Samuel came to Jesse's home when David was just a boy looking for the next king among Jesse's sons, he first sees Eliab. And he, sh and he thinks, surely this one is the Lord's anointed. 
to which God says, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, for the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Jesse goes on to show seven of his sons to the prophet Samuel before he finally brings in the youngest and the most unlikely choice, David. was not even present. He was out keeping the sheep. And upon seeing David, we read in 1 Samuel 16 that the prophet anoints him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And soon the boy David would famously slay Goliath, the Philistine champion. When Saul and the Israelite army heard Goliath's challenge of one-to-one combat, winner take all, they became dismayed and afraid. Except David, who says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. And on the battlefield, David shouts out to Goliath, You come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come at you in the name of of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. With sling and stone, David strikes the giant in the head, killing him. Of course, David will have much success on the battlefield during his lifetime. In 1 Samuel 18, when David returns from battle, the women sing, Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. In seminary, I had one professor say that David's estimated body count from his various wars is well over a hundred thousand people. He's a gifted military strategist and warrior who is anointed by God's Spirit. Interestingly, even with all of that, When it came time to build the temple, David was disqualified because of the amount of blood on his hands. God tells David in 1 Chronicles 22, You have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed so much blood in my sight on earth. Solomon is chosen to build the temple. And of course, King David was far from perfect when he came to his personal relationships as well. In 2 Samuel 11, David sees Bathsheba bathing from his rooftop. And even though they were both married, David sends for her. And he sleeps with her. And he gets her pregnant. And to try and cover it all up, he sends for her husband, Uriah, who is away fighting a battle for King David. Uriah comes back to town, but being a man of honor, he refuses to sleep with his wife while his fellow soldiers are at war. Even after David gets him drunk, Uriah will not go home and be with his wife. 
So David sends Uriah back to battle and places him on the front line and intentionally withdraws his own forces so that Uriah would be killed. Adultery, coercion, conspiracy, abuse, murder. David commits some pretty serious crimes. And obviously, not much has sadly changed in the thousands of years since David. We are still seeing powerful men use their influence to abuse women and act unethically. The stories of abuse we have been hearing these past few weeks by celebrities and powerful men break my heart for the world that my daughters are growing up in. We need men to do better, not just in Hollywood or Washington, but everywhere. Oftentimes, Scripture is filled with lessons and warnings of what not to do. Such is the case with David when it comes to Bathsheba. David's crime will cost him. The Lord says to him through the prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel 12, I anointed you king of Israel, David. And I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I gave you the house of Israel. And if that had been too little, I would have given you so much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord and done what is evil in his sight? Therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. And even though David pleads with God seven days after Bathsheba gives birth, They lose the baby. Conflict will follow David his entire life. And sometimes it seems like God is working in spite of David instead of directly through him. As can often be the case with each of us. Even when we are not faithful, God is faithful. And yet, through David, the kingship of Israel is strongly established. The tribes are united and the kingdom is defended. And because of David, we have psalms and prayers that reflect the heart of God, that instruct us in faith. And with David, we read that God's spirit rested upon him and it gripped him. Scripture refers to David as a man after God's own heart. Now that doesn't mean that God always approves of David. It means that God chose David. And that God loves David and he's made a covenant with David. But for all of his faults, For all of his shortcomings, why does the Bible hold David as such a high and quality standard for king? In 1 Kings 15, Scripture summarizes David's time in office saying, His heart was for the Lord, and David did what was right in the sight of the Lord, except for in the matter of Uriah. David was flawed, but he was loyal. Loyal to Yahweh 
That cannot be said of all the kings in Israel. Loyalty, which is a very devoted, very particular kind of expression of faith, is something that goes a long way with Yahweh. As the man is lying on his bed, dying, what does he tell his son? Keep the charge of the Lord your God. As David is reflecting back on his life, his mistakes, his victories, what does all of his experience, his kingly wisdom, what is it that he shares to his son? What are his dying words? Walk in the ways of God. Keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies as written in the law of Moses. Now David didn't keep the law of Moses perfectly, far from it. But at the end of his life, the most important thing he can say is follow God. When we come to the end of our own lives, looking back at the years we've had, what will we see to be the most important thing in our life? What could be the most important thing for us to say, to identify in this short life that we have? And if we lived every day, like it was our very last day. What would be different about us? What would be most important to us every day? For us, we hear the words of our flawed faith ancestor, David. They They may be a charge for us, to follow God and his teaching and his law, which is made complete and perfect in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of the law, the visible image of the invisible God. David says, follow the law of Moses. Our law is Christ, the fulfillment of the law. So what is the most important thing? Walk with Jesus. Walk with Jesus every day until your last. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that these words will be written on our heart, that we each day would find in you life and meaning, beauty and purpose, that we would turn away from the darkness and the selfishness and we would look up to you and understand what is the most important thing. So Lord, by the power of your spirit, draw us to you and walk with us every day. God, as we prepare to give our tithes and offerings as an act of gratitude and worship. We ask that you would use these resources to grow your kingdom in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.